0: Go ahead, grab your Bibles, turn to John 18. John 18. We're, we're wrapping this up here in a few weeks, getting to the end of John here. We'll be done by the end of November. And then we'll be diving into 1 Peter chapter 1 for, our, uh, for a series through Advent, just to kind of keep you in the loop there. John 18. And so I'm going to read all the way through to 1916. So if you want to buckle up for some, for some passages, here we go, John 1828. If you remember, we are coming back. We took last week off uh, for our 10-year celebration, but we were in this uh, moment where um, Jesus now uh, has been arrested. Um, his disciples bailed on him. Uh, Judas betrayed him. Peter denied him. Um, he's standing trial now, and it's just grim. It just looks grim, and it's it's important for us to kind of sort of set the scene, right? Almost in the way that when you start a movie or you read a book, the, the author, the director, is, they're setting the scene. And so it's, it's early morning, it's blackout, um, there's a lot of uncertainty, there's unsettledness. Uh, Jesus has been captured, uh, the disciples have scattered, and it's just chaos. And so we're going to dive into this really important passage where Jesus goes before Pilate, And this whole exchange takes place, as you'll see, as we pick up here in verse 28. And it says, then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters, and it was early morning. And they themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters. And by they, we mean these Jewish leaders that had captured Jesus so that they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. All right, so this is falling on one of their yearly feasts, the Passover feast. Verse 29, so Pilate, uh, he's the Roman governor, he went outside to them and he said, what accusation do you bring against this man? And they answered him, if this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. And Pilate said to them, well, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. And the Jews said to him, it is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. Verse 33, so Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered, do you say this of your own accord or did others say it to you about me? And Pilate answered, am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? And Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. And then Pilate said to him, so you are a king. And Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. And everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And Pilate said to him, what is truth? And after he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him. But you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. Now, Barabbas was a robber. Chapter 19, verse 1, then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns, put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. And they came up to him saying, hail, king of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. Pilate went out again and said to them, see, I am bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate said to them, behold the man. When the chief priests and the other officers saw him, they cried out, crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, take him yourselves and crucify him for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law and according to that law, he ought to die because he has made himself the son of God. And when Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. He entered into his headquarters again and said to Jesus, where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. Verse 10, so Pilate said to him, will you not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. Verse 12, from then on Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, if you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat on the judgment seat at a place called the stone pavement in an Aramaic uh, Gabbatha. So it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. And he said to the Jews, behold your king. And they cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, we have no king but Caesar. So he delivered over to them to be crucified. That's the word of the Lord for us today. I was thinking about this. Um, here's another strange transition. Um, as I was preparing all this, I, the, the movie Titanic came to mind. Yeah. Um, if you've seen the movie Titanic, and since it's like the largest grossing movie in the world, a lot of you probably have. Um, you remember um, one of the scenes that is really uh, that's kind of become classic and kind of has a bunch of deeper implications um, is that if you've ever seen it, you remember that um, when the ship had just been struck, everyone on the upper deck didn't really know it and everybody appeared to be doing great. And all you had all these, you had all these sort of these rich and wealthy and affluent people just, you know, kind of having massive parties and enjoying their luxurious upper deck, you know, uh, tickets and their meals and their company and all the glitz and the glamour that went, that was going on around them, that they were surrounded by. But the truth was that things were not great. Things were not great. It doesn't matter what they were wearing. It doesn't matter what they were eating. It doesn't matter the luxury that they were sort of like being able to enjoy at that moment. None of that mattered, right? Because they had struck an iceberg, right? It didn't matter that they were enjoying all these lavish surroundings. But there's a, there's a contrast because you didn't just have people on the upper deck of the Titanic. You had people who worked on the lower deck, right? on the on, on Sort of the basement, if you will, of the, of the Titanic. People working below who actually knew the truth, who actually knew what was going on, who knew that something was really not good, really not right, and danger was imminent. And what's interesting is that truth was going to be the only thing that would lead any of the people of privilege to safety. Right? So the most dangerous place on the Titanic at that moment was not the people down below who knew they had gotten struck, but it was the people on the upper deck, the people that thought everything was good, the people that were just enjoying everything that was surrounding them and wanted to maintain that even though things were starting to go awry a little bit. Christians can view their lives in a similar way. We can can be very much like these upper deck people. And yet we've been saved from having upper deck lives, if I can phrase it that way, from being blind to the truth instead of seeing what's really going on beneath the surface. Now, this confrontation right here between Pilate and Jesus, it's famous, right? If you've been in church, uh, for any amount of time, you've probably come through one of the Gospels and you've read about this, this infamous sort of exchange between Pilate and Jesus, but it illustrates some similar realities. Tradition tells us some things about, about Pilate, and it was that he was a very harsh leader, harsh Roman leader. He had sort of clawed his way to the top of, of the government ladder, which is where he was. He was a person who valued some things like power, uh, money influence acclaim these were the truths of his life these were the things that motivated and influenced Pilate and then one day out of nowhere this controversial Jewish man named Jesus shows up and causes Pilate to reevaluate everything right you can see it in the language You can see what's going on inside of Pilate's mind inside of Pilate's heart as he's wrestling through this conversation with Jesus as he's trying to figure out what's going on and what is this bizarre person that has come into his chambers of whose life he thinks he has in the grip of his hands, right? It was like Pilate was reevaluating his life in that moment, which leads him to this pivotal statement that he makes, which was what? What is truth? What Pilate couldn't see until he saw Jesus was that the real conflict in life exists for us and for Pilate at a soul level. That's where the real conflict exists for you and for me. One of the questions that I want to surface for us is what are, what are some of the truths that may be in conflict for you this morning? And here's what we know about truth. Okay. What you believe is true is where you place your trust. Whatever your truth is will also be the place that holds and contains your trust. Even if it's false, even if it's a false truth. So what are some truths that emerge then from this conflict between Jesus and Pilate and what do they reveal about our own truth? that is in conflict more often than we are just even, we even care to imagine, that we even care to admit, right? Our own sense of truth, the things that we are relying on, the things that we stake everything on, the things that sort of shape and motivate our lives, the things that get us up in the morning, the things that cause us to turn to certain channels on the television, turn to certain channels on the radio, so the, the things that cause us to engage in the things that we engage with on social media and have the conversations that we do and to live the lives that we have constructed for ourselves that make us feel like we are most in control and in the driver's seat. Those are all the truths of your life that you are living out at all times, whether you want to admit it or not. So that's what we want to unpack. We want to unpack three truths this morning that emerge from this conflict between Jesus and Pilate that will help us as we see what truths stand in conflict in our own lives. The first one is this, truth number one, God never loses control of a situation. God never loses control of a situation. Jesus claimed to be God, right? All through John, that's what we've seen, it's the theme of John. Jesus claimed to be God, this was the accusation that the leaders had, this is what they were banking on. The problem, Pilate, is that this man, Jesus, claims to be God. And it looks, after all of these chapters in John, after all of the struggle that Jesus has had with all of these leaders, it looks like these leaders have finally gained control. Like finally, everything pivots, everything shifts, the narrative has finally reached that pivot point, right? It's like if this was a, this was a Marvel movie, okay? It's like the scene in every Marvel movie, right, where the heroes have been captured by the villains, and it looks like all hope is lost. That's the place we're at in this narrative. The Jewish leaders were trying to gain control of a situation that they were hoping would end in crucifixion for Jesus. They, they, they could have just killed him. Um, This whole, this claim they're making that they need the Roman government to intervene because they're not allowed to kill someone given that they are under uh, Roman rule. Well, that may have been true in terms of the law, but we'll see in the book of Acts how when they were having problems with Stephen, they just grabbed him, pulled him outside of the city and stoned him to death. So they were not beyond going above and beyond the law, but they wanted Jesus to die a particular way. They wanted this to end in crucifixion for Jesus. The most painful and humiliating death that Jesus could have experienced, right? You remember Paul in Galatians 3.13, he talks about the curse of hanging on a tree, right? Which goes all the way back to the Old Testament. uh, Paul says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So this was the plan of the Jewish leaders Let's get Jesus before the Roman government and let's get him to just the most perilous death that was available for somebody that they were trying to take down. And it's interesting that in the chaos of this moment, when the Jews are trying to manipulate Pilate, what they don't understand was that Jesus was already moving toward the cross willingly, prophetically, They believed they were hatching this grand plan when in reality, this was a plan that God had written before the foundation of the world, for the salvation of the world. And it's important for us to remember this, that no one but Jesus was in complete control of this situation, right? Look what it says in verse 32 here of uh, chapter 18. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. They think, hey, we got this idea. We're going to bring him before Pilate. All of our plans are finally going to come to pass. We're finally going to get rid of this guy. It's going to be on a Roman cross. And it's like, you guys are just doing, you guys are just fulfilling this prophecy that's been in place for thousands of years. You guys are just fulfilling the word and the plan of God before the foundation of the world that he was going to send his son to die, not just die anyway, right? Not just to take Jesus out of town and to stone him to death, but to actually die in this particular way, with with this particular method on a Roman cross. It was already in place. It was already in place. God never loses control of a situation. So what is the conflict for us in that what is the conflict for us in that? Because we stand back and we, we're just reading this, right? And we're, we're, kind, of, we're kind of thinking, we're, we're putting ourselves in the place of Pilate a little bit. We're kind of imagining what it might have been like to be a disciple, kind of standing back and watching this scene unfold. Um, we're, we're trying to think of maybe some of the things that were going on in the mind of Jesus during this. But what is the conflict for us in that as 2023 20, Americans living in Ashland or uh, Ohio or the, or the county beyond, right? And the conflict for us, as we just look at these first few verses, is control. That's the conflict for us, control. We look at things in our own lives. We look at things that sort of are connected to our lives, like the state of the nation, the state of the world. We look at our families, we look at our relationships, and we put our trust in whatever we believe will keep us most securely in the driver's seat. It's what we default to. The power that these religious leaders were wielding over Jesus, I mean, it was enough to convince you that they were in complete control. But Jesus had already said. He had already said in John 3:14, he said, "And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up." Jesus had not lost control of this situation, even though from every angle it looked like that he had. It causes us to ask this question, what situations are you in right now that cause you to forget that God is in control, that he has never lost control? Are you stirring? Are you stirring and operating in unproductive ways, harmful ways, disobedient ways that make you feel more in control, but in reality, they're actually creating additional conflict for you whatever you believe is true will be the place you put your trust in your situation. It might feel like it is out of control because maybe it is, maybe it is out of control, but it is not out of his control. This is why we are so often in conflict because we look at these situations where it looks like everything is spiraling and we forget who is above the spiral, right? The earth spins on its axis, and we forget that it only even turns a millimeter because God says, turn. Man, that's so helpful for us. And we look at this situation with Jesus before Pilate, these religious leaders that thought they had won, yet God never lost control of the situation for even a second. Here's the second truth that emerges from this confrontation. And it's this, God brings us down to raise us up. God lowers us to raise us. Pilate is in conflict. It's interesting because why should this bother him so much? But Pilate is in conflict as he looks down at Jesus beginning in verse 33 and he, he sees this broken man who people, some people were claiming to be king. But what's interesting from Pilate's perspective is that only a defeated king ends up before a Roman governor and then proceeds to make no defense for himself. Who does that? What kind of kingly mind operates that way? Pilate cannot fathom that kind of a man who others are claiming to be king. I don't know if I can either. That seems odd for me. That seems off for me. That doesn't seem in line with our judicial system, right? Get up there, defend yourself. Jesus presents Pilate with what some call an upside down kingdom. Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is different than how you think of what a kingdom is, Pilate, and it puzzles Pilate. The kingdom that Jesus bears witness to here was not like the kingdoms of the world. It wasn't like the Roman kingdom like he points out in verse 36 there. The kingdom of God is not established by force. It's established through faithfulness. And that's what we see Jesus engaging in right now in the most peculiar way as he is establishing his kingdom, as he's giving us a model for what it looks like to humble yourself before God. In the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is what? The kingdom of heaven. Then he says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is what? The kingdom of heaven. Then he goes on to say, truly I say to you, among those born of women, he's talking about John the Baptist, there was no one greater than John. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Do you see like the the upside down nature of the kingdom of God? This, This collection of saints, saved sinners that gather to be a light reflecting the glory of God. Do you see how different it is than the kingdom that Pilate was sort of clawing his way up and wanting to establish and wanting to expand? This is a kingdom that Pilate had no spiritual eyes to see. It's a kingdom that is birthed in the hearts of men and women who see their poverty of spirit. It's, it's not a kingdom established through the conquering of the weak, but through the weakness of the cross, right? Where Jesus manifested his power to save the weak. Paul talks about this in 2 Corinthians 12. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And we see Jesus willingly being silent and weak before Pilate here. Paul goes on to say, therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. This is the power of Christ that we're seeing in action right here that Paul was saying, I want that to rest on me. God brings us down to raise us up. Pilate was missing the point. He couldn't see it. He didn't have a heart to see it. Jesus was the king. That much is true. But he was the king of truth. The kind of truth that sets the enslaved hearts of men and women free. Because they humble their hearts. Because they listen to his voice. God brings us down to raise us up. What is the conflict for us in that? Well, we miss the point like Pilate. So often, listen, we think that if everything would just get fixed, if my family would just get fixed, yeah, you got, you, everybody wants to burst out laughing in that one. If every, if everything could just get fixed in our government, right? If we can just get the leaders, mm, if we can just get the laws where we want them, we will be victorious. We'll experience the life as it's meant to be. But God has bigger things in mind than that for you. God has bigger things in mind for his people. He had bigger things in mind for his son. He is raising us up by lowering us down. The problem is, is that I don't, I don't, I don't want to be down. The problem is we want heaven on earth. We wanna create a kingdom like Pilate was trying to create and be a part of. We don't want to wait. We don't want to have to trust. We want to win. We wanna win. So we stomp our spiritual feet. Don't make me wait. Don't make me be weak. Don't make me humble myself. But Jesus flips the narrative. And Pilate was absolutely floored at what he was hearing. Isn't it a wonder when we consider the reaction of Pilate because I think it would be our reaction. I think it would be my reaction. I wonder how many of us would have said this if we're standing in the same place as Pilate. I wonder how many of us would have said, Jesus, are you really the king? Because if you are, you have a funny way of showing it. This doesn't feel right to me. Stand up, Jesus. Act like a man. Defend yourself. Tell Pilate you're being framed. Quit being so weak and silent. But God lowered Jesus. To do what? To raise him up. And that's his desire for us, painfully. To lower us, to raise us up. That's his desire for us, and that's a conflict for us. And yet we see a model of it here from Jesus as he engages with Pilate. Here's our third and final truth that emerges from this confrontation. And it's this, God distributes authority however he pleases. God distributes authority however he pleases. Imagine the pressure that Pilate is feeling. Imagine the power that he must be feeling, that he must have felt believing that the fate of this this polarizing uh, public figure, this popular public figure, the fate of this man is in his hand. It was time for him to make some political moves. That's the way his mind was working, right? So what does he do? He flogs Jesus. He tortures Jesus. He has him tortured to the point that he barely resembles a man, is what scripture tells us, but still alive enough to experience the suffering of the cross that he was heading towards. And then after the beating, Pilate brings Jesus out to the people and he says this line. He says, behold the man. What Pilate can't possibly have known is that Jesus, Jesus was the man. He was the God man. He was the second Adam who was suffering for the sins of Adam that had been passed down to all of us, to all humanity. What Pilate couldn't have known was the accuracy in which he was presenting Jesus to the people as somebody who had been sent by God, who had the nature of man and God, and was suffering in our place as a man. But the people only know to respond to Jesus in that battered humanity by shouting, crucify him, do away with him get rid of him. But Pilate seems bothered and that should be interesting to us. And he continues to question Jesus. And what we're told here is that Jesus gives him no answer. If you go to Matthew 27, we're told, but he gave him no answer, not even to a single charge so that the governor was greatly amazed. So you got to imagine Pilate just standing back on, I don't have a category for this, I don't have a category for this kind of person. Jesus calmly puts Pilate in his place as we get to verse 11. He tells Pilate a truth that would have absolutely stunned him if not, you know, infuriated him. How could Jesus say that his authority was given to him from above? And by the way, what does above even mean? Can you imagine thinking that if you were Pilate? Didn't Pilate work his way up through the system, the Roman political system, Didn't he do it through a strategic marriage? Didn't he do it through all kinds of forceful maneuvers that got him to where he was? How could this broken and beaten king tell him where his authority came from? Who did Jesus think was holding all the cards in that moment? The conflict for us when we see this, when we read this, is that we think more like Pilate than we we care to admit. We think more like Pilate than we think like Jesus. We want to be autonomous. We don't want to be told what to do. We we want to live independent lives. We want to live individualistic lives. The problem with that is that it's at odds. It's at odds with the upside down kingdom that Jesus has established. Now listen, although it's true that we should stand against corrupt leaders and corrupt laws for sure, We need to always remember that this doesn't mean we are without a king that presides over us, right? And not just over us, but over all things. God distributes authority. However he pleases, which means we can trust him even when there are people over us personally and politically who are doing things that are seemingly against the cause of Christ. We can have some confidence in those moments. We can have some hope in those moments. Turn for to First Peter chapter two. You want to make a hard right, go all the way towards the end of the New Testament to the book of First Peter chapter two. Look at this encouragement that Peter gives us here in verse twenty-one. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow. but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. What a gracious thing for Peter to remind us of, to charge us with, to encourage us in as our tendency is to want to react and to be forceful and create a position for us where We feel more comfortable than we do trusting the Lord and creating our own set of truths that keep us in the driver's seat. So let me finish with this because it's important for us to remember what Pilate says in verse 14 as he presents Jesus to the people for the last time. First it was behold the man and now he finishes with behold your king. Once again, Pilate had no idea how profound this statement about Jesus actually was because Jesus indeed was the king. He's the king of the universe. He is our king. He is the king over the church. He is the reigning and forever king. Yes, we have leaders that the Lord puts into place, puts into power. Some of them are okay. Some of them are corrupt. So we have an obligation to how we live and function in a society where we have leaders. But ultimately, we have somebody above those leaders. We have a king. Pilate had no idea what he was saying when he said, behold, your king. This is the truth that speaks to the conflict in your soul this morning. Jesus is king. I'm not trying to simplify everything, but I don't have another hour to unpack that. Other than to say that Jesus being king, sovereign king over your life, speaks to the conflict that you are experiencing, that I am experiencing in my soul. Jesus, the true and forever king. The Jewish leaders denied that the Lord was their king. We have no king but Caesar, they said at the very end. And this is at the heart of our conflict with the truths that we create around us. Is Jesus king? Or have we set ourselves up as the governor? Because Jesus is king, we don't have to be people on the upper deck, ignorant and unaware of what's really gone, what's really going on underneath We can be people whose eyes have been opened to truth. We can be people who whose eyes are open to the true conflict that's going on in our souls. We can be people whose eyes are open to the truths that we assemble and that we create and we, we construct because it keeps us as governors over our own life. When in reality, we deny that we have a king that has ended the conflict because he is truth. When Pilate asked, what is truth? Jesus didn't need to say anything because he embodied truth and he just stood before Pilate bidding him to come. And that's what he's doing to us this morning. He's bidding us to take our truths, our faulty truths that are in conflict and lay those down at his feet, remembering that whatever our truth is, is where we place our trust let's let our truth be the king over all things let's not live like Pilate, clawing our way through life establishing all these faulty collapsible things when our king is sitting there with a humble invitation he just says come to me all you who labor and i'll give you rest let's pray Lord, we thank you that because we have Jesus, we have truth. We don't have to be people who construct other truths. We don't have to be people like on the, who live on the upper deck who are ignorant of what's going on at a soul level. But Lord, we can have confidence when we see that there's never a situation that you are not in control over. We can have hope remembering that you bring us down to raise us up. You bring us through painful seasons and situations like you did with Jesus. And that is how you raise us up. We can remember that you distribute authority. So when we look out in the world and we start placing our hope in some of those things, Lord, you can pull us back and you can remind us that you are the king who is in charge, and who has graciously provided to us all things in Christ. Lord, you're not unsympathetic to how difficult it is for us to live materialistic lives, Lord, like, like Pilate, where we think that everything that is true in our lives is what we can see what we can accumulate, what's in our bank account, what's in our garage. And Lord, although those things are important and we're given those things to steward, we also don't wanna live our lives in a mad rush to just continue to put all of our trust in accumulating more things for the sake of our comfort and the sake of our wholeness. Because we know that those things can vanish and they do vanish. But Lord, as a church, we pray that you would Gather our hearts together this morning. Help us to see some of those areas in our lives that have contained the entirety of what we believe to be true. Lord, dismantle those things. Lord, dismantle those things. Bring us down. Convict our hearts so that we come to you in repentance, in faith, in hope, and give you all of our trust. Would alleviate our conflict. Give us eyes to see Christ, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.